Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 46 of Bo Knows Stuff. Our featured guest today is Jason Silvernail, uh, DPT and DSC, uh, military physical therapist. So very unique perspective that I think helps us really get some some good uh, conversation going. And uh, as he says in his Twitter profile, he is reliably rational, which always kind of strikes a chord with me every time I see it of... Yeah, let's let's focus more on that these days, people. Reliably rational. I love it. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy this chat. If you do enjoy it or get something out of it, really appreciate it. If you like, share, subscribe, uh, leave a review on your podcast app of choice. And without further ado, here we go. Jason Silvernail. <laughs> hey, guys, we are here. <laughs> we are here live with on Bono Stuff. That's me. I'm Bo with Jason Silvernail, Dr. Jason Silvernail. Um, he is coming to us from San Antonio. I'm out here in Boulder, Colorado, kind of between Boulder and Denver, actually. And we connected a, a week or two. I don't even know. Time is such a weird thing these days. Um, <laughs> but we connected. He was nice enough to come on our, uh, I'm part of a journal club. We meet every two weeks. Uh, most of those guys are up in Oregon. And uh, he was nice enough to jump on there, kind of meant to challenge our beliefs um, from our fearless leader, uh, where we end up talking about a lot of things and get into these, uh, what do we call them? The, uh, the tunnels, funnels of, of kind of, uh, echo chambers. That's the word I was looking for. Sorry. Bubbles, get, maybe? Do bubbles, bubbles, yeah. Too, right? bubbles I guess if you're in a bubble with a bunch of people, it's like an echo chamber. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're just saying the same thing and we're all in agreement. Um, so we don't really challenge our beliefs. And so, uh, he was meant to come on and, and, kind of challenge our beliefs. Of course, at the end of the day, we still probably agree on, it seemed like most things. Um, and, yeah. and then it was just, yeah, okay, there's a little different definition of this or that. So yeah, I think that was very cool. But, uh, and he's had a long week, so I want to go easy on him um, today. Before we begin, I want to remember that you have a disclaimer. You have to put everything, because I've done I a do. bunch of your videos. Go for it. <laughs> Thanks. Hey, uh, happy to be here with both. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Dr. Jason Silverdale. I'm here's Dr. Jason Silverdale, not Colonel Silverdale. So I'm in the U.S. Army. Everything I talk about with you today is my personal opinion and commentary. It does not reflect the official policy or position of the U.S. Army, the Department of Defense, or the United States government. Yes. And uh, I heard and you happy tell- Friday. Happy Friday, TGIF. And I heard you tell the joke that you, you, you might accidentally say that to your wife, the disclaimer yeah. and laying in bed yeah. and- yeah, she, she says, you know, I, I feel like she's, I feel like you say that all the time, and I feel like I could, I know that myself. I feel yeah. like I'm gonna roll over and ask you a question. You're gonna say, you know, it's just, you know. <laughs> yeah. How'd your day go, honey? Well, let me start by saying, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. And Sorry. and the funny thing there, and I'll, I, I like to always shout out my wife. She's a sex and relationship therapist. So if that ever does happen, you'll have to give her a call and work awesome. through those issues. <laughs> awesome. So. Uh, again, we connected over the the kind of the physio space, physical therapy space. Do you you, you have a preference between those two terms, physio, physical therapy? We're we're gonna well, go with I the hard hitting questions today. Right, I I can't. I, <laughs> you didn't even warn me. We're getting to the heavy stuff. You know, like, well, I think um, it. Well, at least in the U.S., I'm I'm American. I think you're American. Like, nobody okay. knows what physiotherapy is in the United States. Yeah, but physiotherapy yeah. is like it's like football. It's like it has a special meaning just in the U.S. <laughs> All right, I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. So I just I tend to see physical therapy more just because I'm because I'm yeah I I, I did <laughs> that's right I did uh, choose to to name my like LLC as I went mm -hmm. into business for myself as Fit Care Physio uh, the Fit Care being um, trying to combine fitness and healthcare and and be in the hybrid space there but I chose cool. Physio 
And yeah, we could certainly talk. I think we're going to cover some of that stuff, uh, hopefully down the line here in this combo. But I chose physio and I ran it by one of my best friends who's not as in the space. And he's like, is that like physiology? Um, is that short for physio? And I was, yeah, I was like, I, yeah, I guess it's all kind of related. Um, but yeah, it's not it's not the accepted term. But I, another reason, again, being an entrepreneur or trying to brand myself, uh, I went away from the physical therapy space uh, or name be a title because again, I'm not in a traditional setting. So uh, when I speak to someone, I'm like, hey, I'm a physical therapist. Um, it turned into like, oh, so you do hot packs and electrical stim and ultrasound. Yeah. And that's what I know uh, as physical therapy. And so, you know, or the other fun one that people say, oh, I tried physical therapy and it didn't work for my back, um, which is always a fun thing. And I'm like, well, that's yeah. like, and physical therapy doesn't work becomes the the narrative and it's uh it's like saying I, I tried McDonald's and all restaurants are not great or yeah. or they're I great. Spain, I, I tried dentistry and it didn't work. Right, right, exactly. I had so, four visits of pediatrics for my kid and he just <laughs> he's not getting better. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So for better or worse, I I've one I go into the physio side. Um and it was interesting if okay. I'm you might be familiar with um Dr. Kelly Starrett, Mobility Wad and now the Ready State. And yeah, a long time ago again he spoke about um, and, you know, I would certainly consider him a disruptor in the space. Um, and, and yeah, and he spoke about when he someone was on a plane and would ask him, what does he do? He says, I'm an educator, you know, and, and I educate people how to move better and how to use their bodies better and how to maintain their bodies yeah, and how to, yeah. you know, take take control of that. So I've always resonated with that concept. But, yeah, let's shift over to you and 22 years yeah. in the military as a as a PT, physical therapist. Um, yeah. yeah. Tell it. Tell us about. Uh, a little bit of that. And again, we, we, I'd be curious again, what differences you would say there is between military PT and civilian PT as I'm in. And uh, other than uh, I think usually military PTs have more free reign, we'll call it of being able to order imaging. Uh, and I think it's x-ray. And I don't know if there's one standard for all the military branches, if it's x-rays, MRIs, uh, CT scans, even things like that, um, it, where again, PTs have become almost more of a primary care uh, step because of a limitation of, I guess, MDs. That, that was that kind of the necessity that led to that, or was it just we trust your education? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think so. I've, you know, I've had about almost thirty years in the military in the army, and uh, you know, over twenty years as a as a PT, so in army medicine, and um, so. Each of the services has their different uh, policies about which healthcare providers can do what. And, you know, in the 70s, we had a key shortage of like in the 70s, the only people who could take care of patients or were allowed to take care of patients independently were dentists or and, and physicians on the medical side uh, and maybe podiatrists and optometrists to some degree. But they, the word physician just that was the word for people who were independent healthcare providers. And there was a big shortage, not only of, of, of dentists, but, you know, f uh, physicians as well in the service. And we had to grow that capacity. And actually, the, the profession of physician assistant came from the military. We had highly trained combat medics who had a wide scope of authority and skill in a combat zone in Vietnam and who came back to the States and were told, well, you, all you can do is um, drive an ambulance now and maybe hmm. put an IV in. And the medic is like, wait, I've, I've been dispensing medicine and reducing fracture. I'm doing all this stuff. You tell me I can't do any of it now? Right. So it's really, it's really interesting. One of the good ways to look at it is in the military, we are really focused on capability. 
What is the mission? Mm. And what capability do we need to deliver that mission? Mm. And we're just not so encumbered by a lot of these other, um, I don't know, side rules or difficult difficult um, other factors that are part of it. We don't have to go to some legislature and argue about scope of practice and who's given them more money to say what decisions, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, and kind of restrict their – we don't have any of that anti-capitalist um, special interest nonsense, right? So people in, in the military in, med- in medicine have privileges that tend to align with their education, training, and competency. And not with what the legislature has decided is the is the right thing to, to do or um, to say. That's the plus. Yeah. So for military PTs, we can do the things that we are trained to do in physical therapy. Right? So I can refer to other practitioners. I can put patients on work restrictions. I can order imaging to include plain radiology and MRI. I can order electrodiagnostic studies. I can from a limited set of medications laboratory tests, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I do think it's a little bit more in the primary care lane, but at the same time, PTs are PTs. Uh, I'm not looking to manage somebody's diabetes or high blood pressure, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm looking to, to to be a primary care provider in the term, in a sense that I see someone first and I can provide comprehensive care for a problem that's within my scope of training and education. You know, and so I'm, I'm you're much better off seeing somebody like me than your average primary care provider for a musculoskeletal problem, for example. Uh, but if you if you got belly pain, like I'm not that kind of doctor. <laughs> so right. that's kind of how it works. And if someone shows up to you with belly pain, you're going to be yeah. quick to say, "That's not me. Absolutely. You need to go yeah. see Doctor So and So." Yeah. And and I uh, w- one thing that came up for me. Uh, so for some reference for anyone listening and for you, I gr- I graduated with my doctorate um, from Long Island University in 2008. So that was where at that time, and I was very involved with the APTA, uh, the governing body of the physical therapy profession here in America. Um, And we were fighting all these fights of direct access for many states, New York actually, Mm -hmm. where I was in school and practicing um, when I graduated, uh, got direct access, I think it was 2007. I was at the House of Delegates uh, with a bunch of the leaders in the profession as we got the news that it went through. Um, and it was a lot of these, uh, the thing that actually pushed it across was, uh, I think it was some orthopods in Long Island that put an ad out that basically said, you know, can your physical therapist recognize that? And there was an x-ray or something. That uh, said, there's a picture of a back. Can they see the hmm. tumor in this yes. spine, right? Yes. But you, you see that neither can your physical therapist. Right. <laughs> so right. You're, you're familiar. You saw yeah, that. no, I know it well. I'm, I've, been a part, I've been a part of some of these battles too. And yeah. it's just... How, how will they pay for their jag? It's going to be awful. They'll, yeah. they'll, make, they'll manage. Yeah. And, and, and again, the thing, the two things that come up for me when we're talking about those concepts, number one, I think it's going into the PT profession. Uh, and this is something else I think we kind of touched on and I've been reflecting on a lot of comparing it to chiropractic and other mm-hmm. health professions. Yeah. And, and I, and I'm going to make a note. Uh, I like that you talked on a recent podcast about uh, massage therapists and personal trainers, I think, and, and their power and, and their, positioning oh, yeah. to be very oh, yeah. powerful uh kind of change big fans makers. of both those groups i'm a big yeah. fans of both those groups um but uh coming back to the pt thing uh going into it i think a lot of pts are like i really want to help people i really want to work with their sports injuries let's yeah. say and that's kind of how i came into it for sure i was an emt uh when i was an undergrad and things like that but coming into it and seeing all the politics and again i i, I would say i'm kind of fortunate that i got really involved as a student in the political side of it 
and saw just how much dysfunction I'll say is going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I got really burnt out on a lot of that. And I think that, again, pra having practice in New York and California, two of the only states, uh, I think at least 40 of the states have some version of allowing dry needling as a modality. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and and California and New York are two of the only ones who ha do not allow it at all. Um, and it was very frustrating to to kind of see my colleagues in another state be like, hey, I just took this dry needling course. It's really been helping my patients. And I'm over here like, why can't I do that? Like, and it's all politics and, yeah. and money move, yeah. being moved around. So that mm -hmm. was really frustrating. Yeah. And I think it leads to some of the burnout that we see. And probably, again, we're trying to, when we talk about these big picture concepts on some of these podcasts and these conversations and then journal clubs like we had, and, uh, you know, it, it's this huge disconnect between what does the research say? Um, and then how do we actually practice it? And if somebody's getting burnt out cause they have to see 30 patients a day, um, which, you know, I kind of was in that range when I first started, uh, uh, and again, I was, uh, I know you're a big advocate for fellowships and you, are you, uh, mm -hmm. remind me of your title. You're, are you the leader of, of the Baylor, uh, army mentorship or you have, you have some title. I don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm fellowship trained. So I'm a graduate of the Army Baylor uh, Fellowship in Orthopedic Manual mm -hmm. Therapy. Right. So that's so that's one uh, that's one piece of it. I'm also the consultant to the Surgeon General for Physical Therapy in the U.S. Army. So I'm like the, the head PT in the Army in, in that sense uh, as, a, as an advisory role, which is a job I, I like a lot. Awesome. Um, but again, in our conversations, and I think and, and a little bit of what I've seen in, in listening to you and reading some of the, the text that you put out is. Uh, a big mm -hmm. advocate for more fellowship and basically more education and especially as you specialize um similar to the medical field this concept of uh you know right now you get your you finish with your doctorate in physical therapy and you're a generalist let's say yeah. um it, in the medical field you go into now years of residency and fellowship to be really yeah. spe specified in a specific area um in physical therapy there are voluntary versions of that um, but yeah. it's not, it's far from required. So we do, I think, get a lot of folks who, um, are coming up short, let's say, uh, if we can be politically correct of, of, you know, and again, then, then you get these, you know, maybe chasing money, maybe burning out, maybe dealing with the insurance and having to s send forms every, mm -hmm. every day on top of, oh, I have somebody with a hot pack on here and I have to write the justification and, oh, their range of motion didn't improve because they had, uh, you know, they got COVID and this happened and I have to write, you know, however much stuff and fill out the dash form and calculate it and whatever um so anyway it's this big thing and and again it's not a perfect profession and never will be nor nor will any of these systems be perfect but um it doesn't mean we can't chase better yeah and perfect yeah. and so and, I do and a lot of these issues are, are true across across medicine and every profession and aren't mm -hmm. unique to pt and one of the, one of the funny things about um about being online and talking to so many people in the professional space is how many people who don't, who aren't USPTs, who aren't USPTs, you know, how, how, how different our system is than theirs. In a lot of ways, we have the worst of both worlds. So like we have more restrictions, more special interest meddling, anti-capitalist meddling in the healthcare regulatory system than most other countries who, and, and people in those other countries are like, well, that just must be all that, you know, horrible capitalism. And it's like, mm. wait, it's actually the opposite, right? So we, we have fewer, we have fewer open market, fewer market-based options in healthcare in the U.S. in many ways than people in other places. Having lived in Europe and, and, and having seen that medical system up close, the countries there are different in how they approach it, but there's a lot to recommend those systems. Mm -hmm. And a big part of what the reasons those systems are, are 
more effective and cheaper is that there isn't all a lot of this special interest meddling about who's allowed to do what to whom and under what circumstances and that, that, uh, <laughs> and a lot of times in PT, the people who were, who were, who were also in this space in the space of like pain and movement and rehab, they're, they're people who are trained to a, to a smaller or lower standard than we are. And they come out with that one niche already set, right? Where they're not generalists across medicine. And PTs are generalists across medicine, from pediatrics to oncology to, to so many different variations and so many different um, specialties in PT. You do come out as a generalist, right? You go to be an athletic trainer or a chiropractor, you come out and that's much more focused in terms of what, uh, in terms of the patient population that you end up seeing, you know, and, and working with, right? And so that's that's where the role of kind of residency and fellowship and continuing education uh, comes into. And you know, unlike our colleagues in medicine, we don't have government funding, Medicare funding of re our residency programs. So we have to sort of build those sort of ad hoc. And I think, as a profession in PT, I think we're doing a great job yeah. about that. And we we really have we really hold ourselves to high clinical and academic standards and yeah. standards of safety and professionalism that uh, that directly serve and help our patients. And, and, and I think that we should be justifiably proud uh, of the of the standards that we hold ourselves to uh, for safety and care for our patients. Absolutely. And and <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to go down a maybe dark rabbit hole here. But uh, again, listen, having Do listened it. to <laughs> having listened on this Friday where we're all just exhausted and we just want to get to the yeah. weekend. But um, well, when people might be listening to this on different days, I'll say, I always forget that mm -hmm. concept. But um, the rabbit hole of, again, I've heard you on a few of the podcasts. I've heard you talk about this higher standard um, that we do hold ourselves to. And and again, mm -hmm. not to get into the profession fight of uh, things mm -hmm. like that, but I think that's, and, and we see it online too. And again, uh, also a fan of you on Twitter. He's a pretty prolific tweeter. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, and of course, we love the reliably rational is the first part of, of your own your self description. And uh, again, I'm a huge fan of that, huge fan of, of that concept and be and you know, I and almost any time I get into a fight with my wife, I'm happy to share. Uh, that's what I come back to. I'm like, I'm just trying to be rational about it. And, you know, then emotion versus rationality. That's a whole nother conversation. But when she's the relationship therapist, but coming emotion. back. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, I thought I thought I was tricking the system by marrying a sex and relationship therapist, but maybe, maybe not. not, maybe not, uh, learning the hard way. <laughs> so, um, but I, we're going on a three year wedding anniversary in a day or two. And, uh, congratulations. It's the leather anniversary traditionally. So, uh, she's listening to this. This is, a no, this is a no judgment space, Bo. You gotta do it. I, I got a repen that's out of that. leather. It's, it was a pen. Okay, great. It was a <laughs> That's new all saddle for the horse, new leather jacket. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so where I was going earlier is this certainty. And so I think the quote, and I, I did, uh, I think, take it down was, if we are not struggling with being clinicians, um, did I even write it down? If you are not struggling, then you don't understand or you're not into the literature, I think was the, the quote um, <laughs> on the leadership. I, I yeah, I will. I, I can sign off to that, right? For sure. These are yeah. com complicated issues, for sure. That are um, that have a lot of nuance. And one of the things that's interesting about that online space is that that's we're not good at people aren't good at nuance there, right? Yeah. And and, then, and yeah. Uh, yeah, what I was going to say is again, I think we traditionally and the profession of physical therapy, 
especially more traditionally, I think it's probably changed maybe a little bit more recently, but I think overall, uh, we come from this genuine place of wanting to help people. And I'm not saying other professions mm -hmm. do not, but I think that for the most part, we're in this like, but the research is telling me all these different things and it's very confusing. And again, someone comes in with low back pain. I just have to pick whichever method. And I appreciate, again, well, I do want to reference your article. You wrote uh, a letter to the editor um, from 2012 uh, about manual therapy and kind of the McKenzie approach mm -hmm. and and, yeah. and defending uh, manual therapy, I would say, um, rightfully so. It was a very good article, and I have a quote from that one that I really like and I wanted to pull up. But uh, coming back to that of, of the of the certainty where, again, a lot of, again, I'm going to pick on the chiropractic profession of the certainty mm -hmm. of your disc is off by 20% here and this and your mm -hmm. rib is dislocated and I'm going to put it back in place. And that certainty that I think a lot of patients are looking for. And we always, I'm, I'm, I'm always struggling, especially as an entrepreneur and, you know, in the, in this having to be better at sales and things like mm -hmm. that of always struggling with the certainty versus the kind of what the reality is. And again, so it's not very sexy and it's not very good salesmanship, if you will, to say, well, the research says, you might get better in four to six weeks or whatever. So, uh, but again, I try to find that balance. And again, I, we spoke about a few different cases that that you had and things like that, but I'd be curious about that kind of, I know it's a big picture thing to unload or unpack, but I don't know if you, if, if that even, there's a question in there, not the best interviewer, I'll admit, but um, if, if there is a question in there, okay, you I have think, thoughts I think on I that. I see where you're going. Yeah, so, right. So I think that um, I, I have found that patients appreciate honesty about that kind of nuance. And I feel like I tell patients all the time or every day, I don't know why this hurts. Mm -hmm. We don't understand fully why this happens. And I, I like to use I like to use terms that that are that we all use in regular life. I like to talk about how things that are things are normal, like imaging results, for example, or how long it might take to recover from something. Some of the some of the issues that we see in, in musculoskeletal care, they take a long time to get better. And I think some of our patients come with expectations of, about how long is a long time, right? And so one of the things I'll say is like, look, I know that this feels like a long time to you, but for the kind of problem you have, three weeks is not a long time. Nine months is a long time for the problem that you have, right? right. But how you're recovering, this is normal. Things look normal and you are recovering and you're going to do well. So people, I think they appreciate that kind of honesty. We're just trying to trying to give them the honesty on a you know on a on a diagnosis and not not tell them something about their problem that seems designed to make them dependent on us in some mm -hmm. sense. And there's that happens just as much with exercise as it does with hands-on care or with medication sure. or injection or anything else, right? So mm -hmm. I, I mean I think having having that relationship based on trust that you build up with a patient. And that that creates a foundation that you can build some of these some of this honesty on, and just say, look, we don't really understand why some people get back pain and some people don't. And I like to talk about as much honesty as I can. I see sometimes it, it probably isn't because your posture or something. Sometimes it's just bad luck. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's okay to have bad luck. And I'm here to help you get through that mm -hmm. and get back to doing what you want to do. And so I'll bring it back to. A little bit, maybe a little devil's advocate here of mm -hmm. pushing back on when you're when you're in that scenario you're discussing. Is that people who are already there for treatment? Because I totally agree with that. But again, where I I struggle and maybe I'm, I'm looking for your advice is and help Bo know more stuff. Um, <laughs> is 
how how do I convince someone back to that like primary care? Someone sprained their ankle. Should they come see the PT? Who might say, "Oh, that's going to take you this amount of time to heal." Um, we can do you know these seven things to make sure that healing process is not slowed down. We can talk about again sleep and nutrition and things like that, um, and stress management, all that fun stuff. So in the sales world, and coming back to that, get PT first. Of yeah. we can we can save a, and again our education allows us to say, hey, you don't need to go to an ortho to to your general practitioner to then send you to a specialist to then send you to an X-ray and an MRI. Where if you you know come hang out with us first, and we'll have a real conversation about what's actually going on based on our experience of 22 years, or for me, I think I'm at 12 years now, um, or 13, 13 years. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, based on that is how I, I guess how do we convey that to the general public? Is that is that a fight we should? I mean, I think we should keep fighting. I think you agree that we keep, should yeah, keep fighting. Yeah, I, I don't. I guess I don't see a I don't see a um, contradiction here. Yeah. I mean, I got to be honest with you, Bo. I, I don't see that kind of contradiction. I, okay. like, I, I don't see, for me, I don't see the value of, let me step back. Okay. <laughs> so I got an email and at the bottom of the email, once I click on it, I go to this, you know, whatever service you're using, right? And you see that there's these, at the bottom of this webpage, there's all these cheesy ads. And if you notice, the ads always have the same thing in common. So like, I don't know what yours look like, but mine mine looks like this. So it, it figures out where where you're located, right? Yeah. And then it's got a picture of, uh, of a police officer standing next to a car with a worried citizen. It says, you know, people in your state can't believe this new rule. Yeah. Click here, right? right. Or, or there's ads for, 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 for problems that are really challenging to handle and that we don't have good answers for, like tinnitus in, for, in your ears. Or mm-hmm. I, I got this one, which I, I have to say it took a little personally. Um, the under eye bags they were advertising <laughs> for, and I'm like, wait, like, what is this? Look, is this thing looking at me while I'm on here? Of course so, it is. Like, I, I think that sort of thing might get people in the door, but it doesn't keep them, and it isn't, it, mm. it, it doesn't reflect the entire life cycle or or healthy cycle that has to happen for mm. us to really be able to help each other. Mm. So I, I would say that my my sort of talking point when talking to people is mm. that you know I'm highly trained to help you with complicated problems, get back to doing what you want to do and help you understand what's happening and, and how to prevent it in the future. Right. And, and I think that it, when we consistently deliver that, and what I often say to people, um, I, I run large PT clinics uh, in the military, among other things. And I would say, you know, when, when I set a patient down in front of PT staff, whether those are DPTs or PTAs, magic happens. Mm-hmm. And I believe and I'm confident in that magic that real humanistic scientific magic that happens and i'm just trying to set that up and make that happen and then stand back and, and watch really good things happen and and i i guess i don't i don't think we need to advertise in a cheesy flashy way to get there right you right. know i think that there are people who have issues who want to come in and, and see us who want that kind of kind of detailed mm-hmm. care that we can provide and those are the folks we should be looking for yeah for sure i've avoided uh joining the TikTok physiotherapy revolution as it is and uh which all just becomes a video of people like pointing to don't do this i don't know if you've seen these don't videos do this yeah don't do, do that this. Like I, do yeah this. no hey you gotta you gotta go where people are and you gotta go where you gotta go where the eyeballs are right you know with or without right. things yeah and you know yeah. and, and do that because i think that you know appealing to people of different you know generations and cultures all that has um you know tons of value right right and i i think for me i probably need to do a better job um, of tailoring 
my presence on some of these places to fit the expected audience mm -hmm. because the people on LinkedIn are not going to respond to a video I make to the same degree that they are on TikTok. It's a different right. audience, sure. right? And there's way there's ways to really positively influence that, and, mm -hmm. and that's a really popular app. TikTok, for example, is very popular among a younger set of people whose ideas about what they should do in the world and who who they want to be, what kind of work they want to pursue, who is a who is a responsible person in a field. It's being shaped right. by that by who's on that application, right? Mm -hmm. Who's mm -hmm. who's in that space already and communicating and talking. And right. so I think that we we need to welcome all that stuff. I think. Yeah, for sure. And and I mean, I just spoke to a business coach yesterday and he basically said, like, just stay on LinkedIn and connect to people who are kind of serious. And yeah, you know, you, may, you might sure. be wasting a lot of time on some of these other platforms and just that conversation. But I, I, what led me down that path a little bit, I'll, I'll backtrack to the question and not to be too combative, but uh, it was actually an evidence in motion webinar. Yeah, that um, what you got? cited uh, a study showing public perception of who should I go see if I have back pain and mm -hmm. PTs. And you might be familiar with that study. I think it came out a year or two ago, uh, right around mm -hmm. the time lockdown started uh, a, a year uh, last year where I don't, again, time is a flat circle. I have no idea what year, month, day, uh, anything is. It's a 2020, but, um, 2021 thing. Yeah. That's why we had, we had all that trouble that I think our, the calendar invite I sent you might've got lost in the, the Bermuda Triangle of this year. Anyway, um, <laughs> so basically, yes, uh, it was it was MDs or orthopedic surgeons, chiropractors number two, I think massage therapists number three. I might mm -hmm. even think uh, acupuncturists were ahead of yeah. physical therapists for, mm -hmm. and, and and I think we were down in like the something like 7% of people would go see yeah. a PT for something like that, maybe even six or 5%. But yeah, again, I don't know if, if uh, and where I'm coming from, and again, I think when people are coming to you and having that conversation, it's a different thing versus mm -hmm. being in this, like, again, I, I post this stuff of, yeah, if you come see us, a PT, before you go and go through this process of x-ray and doctors, yeah. like, you're going to save. And again, it's not always direct savings to the person. And I think we don't do a great job of saying, hey, again, like, that's like seven hours of your time. And it's yeah. very unnecessary yeah. in, in what we're talking about. And again, it's that certainty where again, we almost need, I think we as a profession, we, we, we play with that line of being confident or cocky of, of saying like, dude, we're, we are capable, like, and, and how much can we shout it for ourselves of saying like, if you have an ankle sprain and I actually was out rock climbing yesterday, uh, indoor rock climbing and a guy took a pretty hard, um, kind of fall onto, uh, one of the grips as he kind of was falling mm -hmm. and his ankle, mm -hmm. it looked like it might've uh, broke. And I went to, as I came right over and I was like, okay, auto ankle rules. Like here, here's the rules. If you need to get an x-ray and I'm like, he's like, I'm just going to walk it off. I'm like, okay, well, if this, this, and this happens based on the research, you should definitely go get an x-ray. And like, and I just want to give you this, like something he might yeah. not have had. Um, and again, he doesn't have to see me. He doesn't have to pay me, but it's, it's a question of where, yeah, again, as, and again, I, it might be bigger than this conversation, but I always, I'm on, I feel like I've been asking these same questions for, since uh, Vision 2020, again, when I was a student between 2005, 2008 of, of direct access, and we want to be kind of the primary uh, folks for musculoskeletal health for sure. Um, and yeah, again, like, uh, you, do you know James Spencer by chance? Uh, he's, he's pretty good on Twitter. Anyway, he's, he's out in Aspen, and I think, he's, okay. he, he, I think he, and he was a student vice president, a student president back when I was around a year before me and he's very engaged in the, on the sports and ortho side. Um, okay. Anyway, he's, he's an Aspen and he talks a lot about, again, 
uh, the ski slopes and, and pushing for this kind of like, we, we have the capacity. Like if I'm on the ski slopes and someone, you know, he's not going to just jump in and uh, somebody like, you know, has a twist or something and be like, Oh, your ACL's torn. Um, but it's, it's, it's that ability that we do have that ability to be that primary care person at the bottom of the hill, say, come, mm -hmm. come to me. I can, I have the education and capacity to assess you and say, okay, no, like you just need to put a little ice on it or whatever, or we need to send you to go get those x-rays and things like that. So it's, it's, it's still, feels like there's this huge gap. And again, I feel like uh, we're going into this abyss of conversation. <laughs> so I don't know if there well, is. I think we're too conservative. We're too yeah. cautious. And we don't spend enough time going right to the people we can help, which is patients and consumers. And mm -hmm. I think if I look back at some of the mistakes that we might have made as a profession in helping get our patients access to low cost, low risk, non-invasive care that works, mm -hmm. it's because we have failed to believe in ourselves enough to collaborate enough with our other colleagues, such as in medicine or athletic training or chiropractic or whatever, and our failure to go directly to, to, to patients and give them options about their care, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think the, the great thing about um, a lot of these social media opportunities we have now, we talked about TikTok and LinkedIn and other places, is we have a better chance than ever to be able to do that. And when, when, when we get at least a generation of PTs working hard, to bring our message directly to consumers, we will start to see the pace of these kinds of changes improve, but not until then. We're not gonna get it buying donuts for a local medical practice. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not gonna get it only talking to legislators when we have this much money and, and people who wanna restrict our practice have that much money, right? right. That's right. just arithmetic. Now don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we should never talk to other providers. I'm not saying we should never talk to legislatures. That isn't what I said. I'm just saying, where is the primary focus for what we need to do? And it mm -hmm. needs to be toward consumers. Right. Yeah. And so, and that's, again, what I've shifted to. Um, and I had the mindset to shift there a long time. I've stayed around 2010, mm -hmm. 11. So I, I guess I would love to hear your thoughts on maybe the, whatever your understanding of the cash-based PT, there's all these masterminds out there. Mm -hmm. I don't know how familiar you are with the different kind of names in that space. Um, a few, but I know. yeah, there's like, again, I'll shout yeah, out. So a few like a, that's, yeah. that's a good, that's a good to be in. Like, so I've spent my entire 20 year career plus in PT in the department of defense. Like maybe I, I, I was on the outside. I, I was working as a temporary PT as a floater for a couple of different places in the civilian world for maybe nine, nine months before I came to the long time ago. I remember filling out those Medicare certificates forms though signature is demonstrably less information and training than i do to tell me whether what i'm doing makes sense mm -hmm. anyway <laughs> that, that was a long time ago but yeah. I, I bet some of that stuff still does happen the more things you know, change I, I the do, more they stay the same yeah yeah <laughs> and, and um I, I think that that's an important space the direct to consumer space mm -hmm. is super important and i think that those those folks if we look back at kind of the history of pt about how we got as far as we got a big part of it was because we had a few highly motivated, highly skilled, consumer-centric private practice PTs mm -hmm. who kind of helped push us along. I'm not saying people in other scenarios don't help or aren't important. That's, that isn't what I said. I just said that those folks are those are the folks that really kind of pushed us to see that to, to get a little bit more um, of a consumer focus to what we do and helped advance our practice so that so that the privileges that we have for care for patients come a little closer to what our actual competency is. And in most cases, uh, you know, especially outside the DOD, we have competency level here, but the privilege level we have is kind of down here. Mm -hmm. And that space reflects 
a real problem. Yeah. Now we have a lot of other professions where it's flipped, right? Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of other other people in a lot of alternative medicine professions, for example, whose competency and training standards are pretty low, objectively speaking, not throwing stones, objectively speaking, and yet their privileged levels or what they can do is actually quite high. That represents a safety problem, right? So we have like mm -hmm. we have we have sort of a reversal of those two things in PT. And I think when we routinely go to, to patients directly, and I think that the cash pay, private pay uh, mechanism is an important one, that's the way to go. I, I just, as a Department of Defense person, like, I, I don't have expertise in that space, right? Right. Like, I mean, I, I'm no Karen Litzy who built who built her mm -hmm. practice from zero and is like what I would consider the undisputed expert. And I know there are others in that space, <laughs> yeah. too. Like, I don't have that competency. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm probably not the best person to ask. But conceptually, I like that direction. Yeah, that, I, I was just asking conceptually. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. Um, you mentioned the competence and, and, and earlier you talked about. Uh, back to like a little more patient-centered care, the capability mm -hmm. of the patient is more what you're mm -hmm. concerned with in the military. And again, that ties into kind of what I've shifted my focus around in, in my, again, hybrid fitness, healthcare, uh, how can we help you? Uh, and, and a little bit off of what we were just talking about, again, my sleazy car salesman spiel is, hey, if you give me $3,000 for the next three months, I'm going to give you more information and more tools and habits and and I'm going to give you I'm going to be there for you and be the concierge guy and that $3000 is going to be an incredible savings in the long run if you really look at it and again it's yeah. it's the I'm still struggling with the salesmanship of it all but mm -hmm. you know and, and doesn't mean I don't sell some people I don't doesn't mean I you know and I am I helping everyone I could it's a whole different conversation but for me, it's saying, if you give me $3,000 now, I'm going to probably save you possibly not just a couple hundred thousand dollars down the line, but also, again, the capacity, like not having to use a cane when you walk your daughter down the aisle or whatever, all these. How much know, is that worth, right? Right, right. And it's hard to put yeah. numbers on all that. And again, uh, people focus so much on their jobs and, and you know, and making money, which again, I totally understand. Um, but, you know, it, it's this it's this happy medium of, hey, when you're 65, and, and the, the term I've kind of gone over to is I'm helping people with their physical retirement, you know, because a lot of people focus on the financial retirement. Yeah. And I it's and to your again, your quote, I'll, I'll where I was like, I, I think when I heard that quote, I was like, I really want to, you know, have an hour long conversation with this guy uh, yeah. of, uh, on the PT Pintcast uh, podcast. <laughs> it's a mouthful, but uh, of, of saying I'm, I, you're more interested in where their blood pressure is six years from now more than their, you know, BMI or their range of motion of the knee or, yeah. or what have you. And it's all kind of connected. Go ahead. Yeah. I was, so I, I had actually heard a personal trainer say that I heard a personal trainer say when she was working with her clients that she's more interested in what their blood pressure is in six years than what their deadlift is in six weeks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And like, for whatever reason that just stuck with me. And I'm like, wow, that's, there's a lot of wisdom in that quote that that trainer had. Right. And so that's, so uh, I don't remember even who it was hundred uh, percent at this point, <laughs> but it definitely, I, I didn't know it. I just picked it up and I thought, yeah. man, that is really insightful. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of long-term health approach to things, um, has a lot of value in musculoskeletal mm -hmm. practice. You look at the things that make the most difference in, in people's overall health and function and their recovery from musculoskeletal problems. A lot of it is stuff like social determinants of health, their overall physical activity level, how much mm -hmm. sleep they're getting, all those other things that, that are that are so complex. And we really, in a sort of healthcare delivery model, we are sort of 
got the blinders on a lot of times. Right. And I'm just, what can I do for yeah. six visits to get you yeah, better yeah, and get yeah. you out of the clinic, right? And not like, you know, zoom out a little bit and think, okay, what what is this person doing in their life? And I have a lot of these conversations with patients about, you know, what are you, what are you eating? What do you, what does your nutrition mm-hmm. look like? What does your sleep habits look like? What do you, what do your stress management habits look like? Let's talk about all the pieces of this puzzle mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that are bearing on the problem you're having and let's address them. Picking one piece of that puzzle and deciding we want to be really good at that piece probably doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's my five pillars of health. I, I kind of use as a little bit of my values, core tenant, whatever you want to call it, uh, branding thing of again, mm-hmm. looking at, yeah, I'm going to help you with your movement literacy. Um, and that's the initial point where, where we start of, and that's the other kind of tricky balance is I'm going to do a 21 point assessment and tell you, Hey, your shoulder sucks. This sucks. This is not good. Uh, but here's a plan to fix it. Here's the roadmap to yeah. fix it versus, uh, again, what I think unfortunately happens is a lot of this bad language where it says, yeah, you have a bad knee and then, or you, you have flat feet and there's nothing mm. we can do about it. And I yeah. think another part of our value as a profession and, and every uh, good practitioner and hopefully anyone listening to this who works with other humans takes away is, uh, yeah, you're not your diagnosis. You are not your MRI. You're not your image. You are not flat footed. Uh, and you might have a collapsing arch, but there are ways we can get that better. You might have a knee that is in pain, but there are ways we can get that better. You might have yeah. back pain, but it's not a bad back uh, where your x-ray shows, oh my God, this incredible degeneration and da 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 da. And again, the I've uh, said it on a few of my podcasts, at least, of uh, degenerative disc disease has pretty much been, on, as a medical community, I think, trying to get rid of that term. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, yeah, I was you know, on and, the uh, panel at AOMT, uh, American Academy, with the yeah. manual physical therapist that was talking about, that was kind of put that 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 uh, statement out about we, that we oppose that, the use of that term. Mm-hmm. I think it's good to be able to talk to patients about people about where they're where they need to improve. But I think it's equally important and maybe even more important to talk about the areas that in which they're doing well yeah. and places places that they have strengths that we can build on, right? I, oftentimes I'll talk to a patient and they expect me to just be negative, negative about mm-hmm. all the terrible things. And then I start talking to them about all the strengths that they have, mm-hmm. about all the things that they're doing well, about all the advantages they have over other people in their ability to recover from this problem. And mm-hmm. it really changes a mindset in, I think, an important way. You got to focus on the positives and... What's the, was it Frank Sinatra song? Uh, something, the negatives and focus on the positives. The positive. Accentuate the positives. Yeah, that's it. And something, the negative. Anyway, <laughs> we're not going to, uh, one of my best friends uh, plays the Phantom of the Opera on Broadway and he okay. never likes when I sing. Um, yeah. I can <laughs> like, see why. You are here. We need you here. Like, okay. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Um, <laughs> but that took us, uh, yeah, down a little path there. So I was talking about my five pillars of health. So yeah, it's the movement is only that first kind of, again, what we do, who we are, whatever. Yeah. But then, yeah, yeah the yeah. other nutrition and and kind of what we put into our bodies from all sorts of different concepts. Uh, recovery, again, the sleep component that is huge, where again, most people don't even realize, and, and this does get lost, I think, and not just in the PT profession or the chiropractic profession, but it's when we do something to your body, it is mm-hmm. not that thing. It is not that intervention to, again, uh, your article or the letter to the editor you wrote about the McKenzie and manual therapy uh, mm-hmm. approach. And I do want to read that uh, quote, I guess, real quick before I forget sure. is um, Darko uh, cautioned us against focusing on a particular treatment procedure instead of the overall effect of care. And Jacobs notes, it is our interaction with the patient, not our particular chosen method that is the most salient issue in an episode of care, which is one of the more yeah. powerful sentences. I think that if people miss that boat, 
And again, I, I've, yeah. having taken on uh, or take listening to a number of your talks, uh, content that you put out, I think it's a theme that you you continue to echo, and I think it needs to continue to be echoed. And yeah. and it, you know if it and you know sometimes it does get lost in the physical therapy schools, unfortunately, and you know where you're focusing on you know, what, what does this cranial nerve do and all these different things where you need to pass yeah. the test at the end of the day, but yeah, it's still patient centered care. And it's still about, you know, how are we impacting that person, that human? Um, and it, yeah, so, uh, you know, that's, that, and so those are the last two bits. I talked about my first three, uh, pillars of health. The last two are, are mindset and connection is where I've broken it down to. And again, that tends to be somewhat in our domain and our, our my PT yeah. program actually did a decent amount of uh, courses and things around the psychology, uh, which I, you know, I, I don't think is, I don't know how prevalent that is in all clinical education, but um, again, the, the mindset bit, it, it, a lot of times is where I might refer out to say, Hey, like there's some really interesting stuff here. I want to come back to talk about your priorities and, and, you know, how much stress is going on. And, and that kind of goes back to the recovery and all this stuff and breathing practices and how powerful that can be. And that's one thing that, uh, the first thing I ever look at with almost any client patient, again, have, and they, being outside of the traditional model gives me that right. Cause if somebody comes to me in a traditional setting and they, they're coming in with back pain, maybe I can get away with assessing their breath. But if they're coming to me with knee pain, now it's like, why are you even looking at my breath? It becomes this, this interesting mm -hmm. thing. And maybe you can create that trust. But, and then the last, the fifth pillar being connection, where again, I, I you know, keep bringing up my wife, but uh, connection is such an important part of our long-term health, our well-being, and things like that, where mm -hmm. I think it's, and then that's why I love doing these conversations. And I want to, again, thank you and be respectful of your time. I don't know if you have a, a limit um, on, you have to I'm be out here. for a few more minutes. Awesome. So yeah, um, reliably rational man. Um, and I did want to say I was uh, at West Point, which is one of the nicer, I don't know if you're like, go Army, beat Navy, I assume everyone in the- Yeah, yeah, to Army some degree, Navy. sure, right? <laughs> yeah, the, uh, like, yeah. There, there's, there's always a little bit of that, but at the same time, you know, I, I spent a lot of time, you know, with my brothers and sisters in the Navy, and a lot of that's like, we, we make a big deal about that, we make the little jokes, but, yeah. you know, when it's time to get the job done, game faces yeah. are on. Right. And, um, we're, we're all on the same team. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and the same thing with the, 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 the medical space, I guess, same thing, yeah. right? Is, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Cairo's P, uh, PTs, massage therapists, personal we, trainers. We need to get to the point, I think, where we have to have this concept that we are interdependent in the medical mm -hmm. system, right? Well, I guess we're autonomous for, in, in the sense that we don't need somebody else's permission or approval to take care of our patients. But at the same time, we're interdependent on the web of other people in the medical space, right? And so like there's this guy, um, like my most important guy, my, my most important customer right now in my day job is a guy named Tim. And Tim is the department chief of family medicine at my large hospital, right? And so like I'll send text messages periodically. Hey, Tim, how's it going? Anything going on? Anything I can help you with? That kind of thing. Like, and I, and I talk, when I talk to people who are in primary care, physicians, PAs, nurse practitioners, I kind of make this joke. There are two branches of medicine, primary care and primary care support. And I remember which one I'm in. I'm here to support people who, who are carrying all that weight, you know, of responsibility in primary care, trying to take some of that load off and make, mm -hmm. make their lives easier in a, in a very real way and take over as kind of like the primary care point of contact for someone with the kind of problem that we can help them with. I mean, I think that's super important. We, we've got to get to the point where 
we rely on each other and um, do a better job of communicating and passing patients. So I'm my practice in musculoskeletal orthopedic care. I don't write many consults for orthopedic surgery. Right. I write a lot of them for behavioral health mm-hmm. and for nutrition care. Yeah. Yeah. And you have good good resources to refer out to specific practitioners. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we have great relationships with the orthopedic team. I just don't happen to see a lot of people who need a surgical evaluation. Mm-hmm. And they tell me about half of the people that come to see them should be coming to see me instead. Right. 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 Do they refer to you though? <laughs> no. They do. Yeah, they <laughs> do. Bad. Yeah, we yeah, this is the great th- great thing about the great thing about the military is it, everybody's on salary. Mm-hmm. I'm getting paid the same at the end of the month, whether I see right. 80, 800 people or not. The surgeon's right. getting, she's getting paid the same amount of money, whether she does 10 procedures that week or two, right? So we're, we're, our only motivation is to we need to do for patients and try to make sure we're meeting our requirements for uh, training for deployment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say on that concept is one of the more potent things I say, I, I think should ho- hopefully resonate with patients is I say, uh, you can always have the surgery, but why don't we try yeah. this, yeah. this, and this first? And again, sometimes, yeah. uh, and and again, we didn't even go down the the research rabbit hole too much because uh, there's all sorts of fun ways we could have gone there. But in terms of the surgeries, yeah. Um, it's yeah. Did you did you try conventional PT before yeah. the surgery? It's a and stepped di- care model, right? It's not something we're making up out of whole cloth. Like th- these are acknowledged, these are acknowledged processes and procedures that we have in medicine to ensure cost effectiveness and most important safety. And that's one of the things that stepped care involves. I mean, certainly there are patients with a musculoskeletal problem whose problem is better managed surgically, whereas surgical surgical management is a superior strategy than Mm -hmm. what I have to offer. I send the referral right away, no issues. Mm -hmm. But for most people, most of the time, they are better off with low cost, risk, non-invasive care first. Yeah. And we, we can be able to do that later. I tell people, you, you have that example. You can always have the surgery later. I tell people it's like ringing a bell. You can't unring a bell. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So like we just we need to be very, you, you, you want to be rolling into that, into that operating room. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're in the, you're in the, you've got the, all the blankets on and the area has been shaved. And you've got the IV in. You, what you don't want to be thinking to yourself is, do I really need this? Hmm. Yeah. I've gotten better without having to take this risk. You don't want to be that ner- You don't want to be nervous about ready to go. You want to go in thinking, you know, I've got this issue. I can't live with the issue the way I am now. I can't do what I need to do. I tried everything I could. I took all the advice of the smart people. I tried less invasive things first and it just right. didn't work. Right. And I'm confident in the surgeon, in the surgeon and the surgical team. And I know this is the right decision. You want to have that mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Rolling into an elective procedure and yeah. we can help people get there and help provide that smooth handoff. Another things my colleagues in orthopedics uh, tell me, in addition to like half of the people that come to see them, they would like for me to have seen first, is that oftentimes the people that come to see them have not been packaged in a way that helps them be successful. Now, what do I mean by that? They haven't had an appropriate workup. They don't have all the imaging studies they need for the surgeon to make help make a surgical decision. Mm-hmm. And people who tend to come from the PT space, all that stuff is done. Yeah. The appropriate examinations have been done. The appropriate imaging has been ordered. We know that we're not getting anywhere with conservative care. I'm kind of serving it up on a platter for the surgical team so that they can make a good decision about what what they need to do with that patient. And it's that kind of sort of interdependence on each other and partnership that I think is super important, uh, you know, in medicine. And I think if anything, 
in the PT space, we are too um, we're too cautious and we're yeah. not confident enough about um, reaching out to our peers and making sure that we're uh, we're good partners for them, especially on the civilian side. <laughs> I'll say, but but yeah, did you have did you have something? No, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that that's, uh, you know, I'm sure there are places, there, there are different places where that's harder or easier. And, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. based on the, based on the privileging that you, that you have, the ability, what you can do clinically, it really limits that. I mean, it's yeah. easy for me to package somebody up in the Department of Defense. I can order the MRI. Right. With or without the contrast. Right. I can do the electrodiagnostic study first. I can do a, a lot of those kinds of things, right? Mm-hmm. And but uh, if you don't have that ability, it, it's really hard. You've got to right. go, let me write a note to your primary care provider. Yikes. (laughs) And and that's where I was really grateful when I was in New York City to uh, have been in uh, settings where we had the orthopedic surgeon for the New York Rangers as somebody he was either coming in and working out with us Mm -hmm. um, on, you know, doing some personal training or what have you. And he was right there to say, like, hey, doc. Um, can you, can you just, you know, consult me and and just have that conversation real quick. But those relationships are, I think, very rare, unfortunately, in the Mm. entire PT profession, but to what the example you just gave, uh, bringing it back to me of something you discussed on our, again, journal club call of the obvious that that term obvious, it should be obvious to everyone involved. Um, it should be obvious to my wife who might not have the expert, you know, the, the background or the training around like, Hey, what does this, this look like? It's worse than this. And, you know, that same thing for the surgery of being able to, and, and, you know, the thing I was thinking of is again, somebody like you, who is probably more familiar than most with what the outcomes are in the research of this particular procedure. And you can say, uh, and again, maybe someone like me goes where I, I need to continue and I'll always be working to refine that and that lifelong journey of getting better and better of saying, generally the outcomes are 50 50 on this you know or like in the research it says this where i don't know if again you have i'm again i'm gonna keep asking as the theme of the uh, podcast and this will be i think the last thing of teach me more stuff um you know this is my fellowship in some ways of of learning from you know some of the best out there and and again really appreciate you being on here of is there a good approach or how do you approach that conversation of saying this is what the research says and the evidence-based model of you know, one third is what the research says. One third is what the patient preferences are. And one third is your experience. And again, saying mm-hmm. I've seen hundreds of patients who've gone through this surgery and everyone does great or, you know, or, or, blah, you know, so yeah, what, I don't know if you have uh, that, that'll be our last. Yeah. Question. As much as possible. <laughs> I want to put the, I want, I want to make sure that patients are informed so mm-hmm. they can make the choice that's right for them, not the choice that's right for me. Like, and I, and I, when I talk to people, I really want to be clear about what my advice is and what the evidence says. The yeah. evidence says this in terms of what's likely to happen. Based on what you've told me is important to you and what I'm seeing in our exam today, I recommend that you do this, but I'm happy to support you You know, either way, right? Some people come in like, oh, well, you know, I'm just sure I need surgery for my rotator cuff. Like, well, you know, let's take a look at the MRI results and let's take a look at your shoulder and have a conversation about it. Is there some evidence that early repair for rotator cuff tears might be better than rehab? There's some evidence for that. Is there some other evidence that says rehab is as good or better? Well, there's some evidence there too, you know, and I just, that's where, that's where that discussion comes in. Based on what you've told me, the activities you're trying to get back to, I think you are better off trying to rehabilitate this first. And here's what I recommend we do, right? Mm -hmm. But if you don't want that, if you're not interested in rehab, it's not wrong for me to order an, an, uh, an MRI for your shoulder if you haven't had one. And it's not wrong for me to send you for a surgical opinion to a surgical specialist. 
if you want me to do that, I will. Right. Yeah. I want to, uh, I want to give that power in the, to, to the patients. Like people are growing up now in a world where, I mean, it's just so wonderful. I can pick this phone up <laughs> and I can have Indian food delivered to my house in 40 minutes. It's amazing. Right. Yeah. And so like when I talk to pe people in PT audiences, I'll say, Hey, have you used this certain and I'll list an app that you can order food on? And, and I'll find somebody who hasn't used that app. I'll open the app. I'll hand the phone to them and say, I want you to order me a Greek salad and have it delivered to my house. And at first they're like, and, and it just <laughs> a couple minutes, just jump in the yeah. app and see what, and you know, what's funny about those apps is they all kind of work the same. Yeah. And it's easy to figure out and it's easy to find exactly what you want. And you get what you've asked for. The question for us is how can we make medical care and PT look like that? Mm. Right. Yeah. How can we make it look like that? How, how what's <laughs> as closest as we can get it to that? Mm -hmm. I want it to be like the app that you order food for. Right. Right. So like our, my system, like you can do some patient scheduling uh, online, right. Through TRICARE, which is the uh, health system for the department of defense. And you know, some people are like, well, I don't know. I don't think I want to put the appointments on TRICARE online. I'm thinking I would love to do that. Put them all on there. I want the patient to be able to, to hurt their knee in, in a basketball game and pick that phone up while they have the ice pack on it and get in front of one of my docs the next morning in the PT clinic. That's what I would like to see. Right. And, and the only way we get there is if we have this mindset that we are trying to make sure that put the patient in, in control, give them choices and options and over deliver for them when we see them. I, yeah, I, lo I love that concept. And uh, one of the books I read recently was uh, Deep Medicine. Have you seen or, or looked at any of that? I haven't heard that one, no. Uh, really interesting. interesting. Yeah, super interesting. And basically the main tenet was about um, AI in medicine and uh, the conversations of uh, Eric Topol, who's a New York Times mm -hmm. author, and I think he has a few yeah. other books. Um, but yeah, just super interesting of... And, and we, you know, and again, I think as you go down those conversations and when we're, uh, I, I don't know if we mentioned it as we were live and, uh, or before we went live, but, uh, that you're working on this clinical prediction, not rule, uh, <laughs> model, clinical prediction model for low back pain. Yeah. Clinical practice guidelines. So I'm on, clinical I'm on a couple guidelines. of different guideline panels for the department of defense and veterans mm -hmm. affairs helping set federal government healthcare policy in, in the clinical practice space in the area of low back pain, obesity and overweight and uh, opioid therapy for chronic pain, for example. Yeah. Super so necessary. Those, those are really important. And when I, when yeah. I talk to people about this and, and people say like, there's just so much research, how do I, <laughs> I, I mean, I really love what APTA is doing and, mm -hmm. and some of the academies are actually putting out clinical practice guidelines for how to handle something in PT. Yeah. That's the kind of that. So people who aren't familiar, aren't super conversant with re, with research or just, they're just too busy to try to keep track of it all. Right. And gosh, isn't that all of us at some point? <laughs> Figuring out what the big picture clinical practice guidelines say, for the kind of problems you're treating, that will take you 90% of where you need to be when it comes to applying research. They're not perfect. Right. Um, but they're going to get you most of the way there and they're going to make sure that the care you're offering our, our patients is, uh, is up to date. Yeah. But the, the, the reason I was bringing up the book and the AI concept is, I guess that's the fear and the scarcity mindset of will this algorithmic kind of treatment, okay, you have knee pain, go do this. If it doesn't work, you know, yes, no kind of flow tree, if you will, flow chart. Um, 
but yeah, again, I don't want to open up that can where it's an interesting conversation, super interesting. And yeah. uh, at, at the end of the day, again, I, just, I don't think we should be afraid of those algorithms. I don't no, think we I should be afraid so of uh, and, and I think that those things are going to do what technology usually does for people. It's yeah. going to give us the capacity to do different kinds of work. It's going to, it's going to remove some of the repetitive and drudgery, uh, repetitiveness and drudgery mm -hmm. of some parts of some of the things that we do, and automate them and make them faster. But it's mm -hmm. not going to be able to 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 replace us. Right. It, it's the it's the difference between knowledge and, and wisdom. Right. Yeah. A computer has a lot of knowledge, but it can't it can't really have an applied wisdom. And that really is our our job to help people make better decisions. Yeah. You, you brought up rationality before. Ration rationality is. When, when someone is rational, it means that we hold a belief for a good reason. Mm. And that concept of rationality is totally different than the concept of intelligence. There's mm -hmm. actually not even very much overlap, if you can believe that. Yeah. So that, that's where I think we need to be uh, in, in that space. Perfect. Perfect place to end it. <laughs> um, and again, I do want to be respectful of your time. We're coming up on the hour and just wrapping it up, the uh, standard kind of remind everyone where they can find you if they wanted yeah, to. Yeah, great. Anywhere you're on social media where you where you participate and talk to other people about professional issues, you will find me there. Facebook, <laughs> Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, LinkedIn. Are you on TikTok? I am. I am. Okay. I, I'm. Bravo. It's been it's been a crazy <laughs> couple of months, and I'm not I'm not as up to date with posting my videos as I usually do. I talk about professional issues in in medical practice. I talk about critical thinking. I talk about healthcare leadership or anything else people would like to hear me talk about. Uh, so you're welcome to find me there. Uh, the handle is at Jason Silverdale, like the first name and last name altogether. There you go. Look forward to seeing you guys there. Simple. And yes, and again, I want to take this last chance to thank you publicly, whatever, of, of pushing the profession forward. And and again, thank obviously, you. we need you know a couple hundred more folks like you to um, and you. continue. And <laughs> hopefully, yeah, um, trying, trying what I can. Um, the one thing I, I think that it's motivated me to do is something that's been on my mind, and I'll, sh I'll say it here publicly, of having more consistent posts about, hey, did you sprain your ankle? consider going to see a PT. And it is like, you know, I was asking that question. And again, it's the be the solution you want to see in the world and all that yeah. stuff of continuing just to push that, that like, I do really firmly believe that. And what can I do uh, in my little yeah. platform to to push that forward? And I wrote that note of saying, I'm going to whatever it is every Monday, or you know, whatever it is every 10th day, I'm going to try to schedule it in to say, Hey, guys, like if you have back pain, this is going to save you money, this is going to save you time. Like, it's just it's so simple to us because we study it, we research it again. Like I, I was calculating half a million dollars probably in education somewhere in here. Um, and and hopefully I can just get it out in a simple format. So anyway, without going far down too many other rabbit holes, if you guys enjoyed this conversation, please like, share, subscribe, out of that, all that fun stuff. You know what to do. Smash that like button. Uh, you know, anyway. Um, thank you, Jason. Uh, I'm going to let it go here and, and end the broadcast. And boom. And one more.